You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, recently I had a conversation with one of my buddies. He's kind of a, a truck nut, a car nut, and he told me that Interstate Batteries makes, from a technical standpoint, some of the best car batteries on the market period hands down not only that but they have thousands of retail locations all over the united states so stop in to a local retail store ask the guy who works there about their car batteries and hell you might as well put one in if they're the best in the business so interstatebatteries.com is their website go there find out more information about the culture of the company the batteries that these guys carry or just stop into a a local retail store interstate batteries outrageously dependable What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today, my co-host of sorts, Mr. Bob Polanik, is back on the podcast, and we're going to be talking about a variety of different things and things that are what's happening with us right now. So here's a bullet point list that I've written down on a piece of paper so I didn't forget anything. Uh, We're going to be talking about summer scouting for Western hunting trips and not the digital scouting that we all do before we take a Western trip or an out-of-state trip. I'm talking about allotting some time to go out, get some boots on the ground. Um, I know that and we we discussed this in the podcast, but 2021, I'm going to be drawing an elk tag or I'm going to be putting in for an elk tag that is uh, been seven years in the making. So I might allot some time to get out there and do some scouting. Uh, We're going to be talking about some physical fitness. And this kind of ties into what I just said. And that is, I don't want to go out and spend seven years collecting for a tag and then just be a fat piece of shit, right? And about, I am still a fat piece of garbage, but... I've started a fitness program. We talk about that. And let's see what's up on this rut. Planning for the rut, planning for trips. So it's all kind of like a, a planning and preparations type podcast. But, um, you know, another reason why I'm doing this hunt next year is because all three of my, my kids will now be in some form of school. My, my oldest boy, he'll be full-time. My daughter, she'll be full-time. My youngest son, he'll be like an every-other-day preschool type thing. But uh, we might be having him in daycare too. So I think what's really going to make this this sweet is if I can plan it, take a lot of burden off my wife. Uh, she's going to be more 
susceptible to let me go on some of these uh, trips and actually be gone for longer periods of time. So that's what today's podcast is about. And, uh, you know, like always, if you want to communicate with us, hit us up on Instagram or Facebook and uh, ask questions. Uh, if there's a topic you want us to talk about, man, me and Bob like to bullshit. So that is what we're doing. Oops, wrong piece of paper here. Now we got to do a commercial. And the commercial is Wasp Broadheads. I mean, what do I want to say about Wasp Broadheads? I don't write these down because I don't like reading them off of uh, pieces of paper. But uh, I, I say this a lot whenever I talk about Wasp. Um, I've had the, you know, the pleasure to work with a guy named Fred. His name is Fred Doherty. He is the, he is one of the engineers over at Wasp and he is an amazing person from the standpoint of talking to me about how they design broadheads, right? Uh, the American made quality in them, the materials that are in them. So not only have I built this relationship with Fred, I've built this relationship with the brand. I've built this relationship with their product and what, what makes a good relationship, the found a foundation of some sort. And that foundation is built on a product that is awesome. I mean, I am a huge fan of this company and their products because I've been using them for a very long period of time and I've found success with them and I have never seen failure out of them. Like I can't, I can't give you an example of a, of an error I've used with wasp broadheads where the blade didn't open or some other excuse, right? That right there is why I love working with this company and uh, I love working with Fred and the rest of the, the crew at Wasp. So if you want to find out more information about Wasp, visit their website, wasparchery.com and enter the discount code 9fingers2020. So that's the number nine followed by the word fingers2020 and you're going to receive 20% off of your purchase. That's a really good deal. So there's the commercial. Go check out Wasp. And I think we're done talking. Make sure you're subscribed to the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail feed. Make sure you're subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles feed as well. And uh, follow us on social. And let's get into today's podcast with my buddy Bob Polanik. In three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Bob Polanik. Bob, what's up? Not too much, man. Just uh, enjoying a little Wednesday, Friday, if you will. Yeah, dude, I, I love Wednesday, Fridays. I love any day of the week that is the last day of the work week. Yeah, I'm uh, staring down a four-day weekend and uh, couldn't be more excited. My buddy and I do a, a camping trip every year on uh, summer solstice weekend. Um, we simply just call it solstice. And we go to a spot on a river, and we camp right on the riverbank. And you can the river's not terribly big, and in Michigan, all our rivers like just cut through forests and stuff like that. So they're super clean, and uh, nice and cold. It's supposed to be sunny and ninety, and yeah, so I'm excited. Gonna be doing any fishing? Yeah, man, should be doing some trout fishing and maybe some walleye fishing as well. Yeah, well, that's yeah. awesome, man. I, uh, I I need a good fishing trip. I haven't been. I mean, fishing like I, I normally have been 
you know, in the past where I'll get out on, on a boat for like eight straight hours or, or, you know, go to a farm pond, you know, by myself, I kind of need, this is going to sound pretty selfish, but I need some Dan Johnson time. <laughs> yes, sir. So, so some nine, some nine finger time. Yeah. Well, if you put it that way, it kind of sounds dirty, but <laughs> it does, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> but, uh, let's see. Oh, I got to tell I got to tell you this funny story. This morning I'm at the park and I I'm at the park with my three kids. They're playing and there's this kid. He's just kind of acting like a tough guy, bully and and stuff like that. And he's pushing other he was like bumping other kids and not necessarily this really passive aggressive. And then he uh he kind of hip checked my daughter. And my my daughter in the past has overreacted to scenarios like that. So she looked at me and didn't know what to do. So I just said, Ava, calm down. I'll take care of it. And I just, I just look at the kid and I said, Hey man, uh, you know, it's not very nice to be doing that. He goes, you're not my dad. I just, I, I couldn't even stop myself from saying it. I'm like, you don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. Anything could happen. Anything could have happened. And he's like, <laughs> you know, like he got all frustrated. And, and so, I felt pretty good for Slam Duncan on a uh, on a on a what probably a seven year old today. I mean that's like the G the G rated way that you can do that. Yeah. So, good, yeah. I mean, good. And I think it, you know I'm no judge I'm no childhood development expert, but I feel like that kid needed to be knocked down a notch. Absolutely. Yeah. And I because I knock my kids down a notch every single day. Yeah. They try to flex. I just flex back at them, and and then the world is all good. So. That's Perfect. my, that's my parenting story for the day. You sent, you, you sent me an email about something that kind of caught me or a, a text message that kind of, uh, interested me. You are, before we get into it though, we're going to talk about some other things, but the, the whole purpose of this podcast today, I want to talk about a little bit about Western prep, but scouting you know, scout, making an out of state scouting trip only. And it's you, it says here, uh, Dan, big news. Uh, you and your wife are, are heading out, uh, West in July and you're going to be able to d- be doing some scouting for elk and deer. Correct. Yes. Yep. So what brought this up? Well, originally, so typically every summer I, I get myself out to Montana or Idaho because I've got a buddy that lives out there. He's a, my elk hunting partner. Um, and we usually do like a, a cool uh, river float trip, usually four or five day float trip. Um, and this year we were supposed to float. Uh, it's like the South Fork of the Salmon River, Snake South Fork of the Snake River. And... Um, and we're always applying for like the Smith River in Montana and some other rivers and stuff like that. But we didn't draw anything, and that's a river. That's a that's a float trip that you don't need a permit. So we're like, all right, we'll just go do that. Um, well, with COVID and everything, our our flights got canceled like a week ago, um, and we're supposed to leave, you know, in three weeks from the time that they got canceled. So started looking online and. Um, flights were just going to be way too much to like rebook. Um, and I think essentially like what the airlines are doing is like they take your money and if they can't fill the flight, they just issue you, like they give you a voucher 
And then if you still need to do that flight, it's way more expensive. Or if you back out of your trip, now they can just hang on to your money because they're not offering cash back. They're offering, okay. they're offering like, like uh, yeah, a credit. So it's a way for them to stay afloat, which whatever, that's fine. Not ideal, but I get it. Um, so anyway, I was like, whatever, we'll just drive. Cause like some of the, even if you could find a good price on a flight, it was like 24 to 30 hours worth of, worth of, worth of airport time, you know, between layovers and stuff like that. So I was like, if we're going to spend 24 hours in an airport, I'd rather spend 24 hours in a vehicle. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, so we're driving out there and then my buddies called me yesterday and, uh, some of the other people that were going to go on the trip with us, they canceled as well because of COVID and stuff like that. So my buddy was like, dude, it's just the three of us. That's a really big trip, you know, for just three people between like rafts and packing stuff in and camp and all that. And he's like, you want to do something else? And I was like, absolutely. And he's like, if it's all the same to you, he's like, I don't want to burn five days worth of vacation while you're out here, like two or three, if you're cool with that. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's fine. I was like, dude, you know me and I've been dying to one of these years get my ass in the mountains in the summertime and do some do some scouting and that would potentially lead to some critical information when you know september rolls around so so yeah that's kind of where that all came from so uh we're gonna go out there we're gonna do like a two or three day float and then um i think we're gonna have two days where we do some some scouting um in idaho and then I've got a day where I'm going to stop in Nebraska and do some uh, tree stand work there and check some cameras and stuff like that. So that's awesome. Uh, man. Yeah. I, the, the other thing is I was listening to Andy May again on Mark Kenny's podcast and they were doing a Q and a, and the question was what separates an average hunter from a great hunter and a great hunter is like someone that consistently can kill a mature buck or can consistently kill like uh, their target buck. Um, and Andy was like, I think that the main thing was you need to scout more than you actually hunt. And I was just yeah. like, well, when it comes to elk hunting, I've done zero scouting because that's just, you don't have time. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of where that, it's like, if I'm going to, I'm still going to go out there. I just like to spend a day or two. I think in Idaho, you can run trail cameras. So I try to find some kind of remote wallows and stuff like that. And just see, you know, in some very different locations, like completely different, um, like mountain ranges where like, if you go hunt one area one day and it's not going on, go to the other area where maybe you've got a camera or two set up, check those cameras and you can get some Intel and see if there's, you know, more elk in one area versus the other I, I don't know i've never done any preseason scouting for for elk so yeah got some homework to do on exactly how i want to do it but um yeah yeah and i'll tell you right now the reason that i found that really interesting is because you know on some of these trips you know not necessarily an over-the-counter type tag where you go and you're you're guaranteed to draw right yep. i'll be next year not this year but next year i'll be cashing in some wyoming points and i'm debating whether or not it would be a good use of my time and resources to drive out to wyoming 
for a power scout, you know, like a, I don't know, a drive there a day, scout two days, drive back and burn, burn four days heading out to Wyoming to do a quick scouting mission. Once I identify what zone I want to, you know, I want to hunt and maybe even after some draw results come out, cause I think they're out by now. So I should, I should know what, um, what unit I'll be hunting so I can go there. I can scout and, you know, locate something, find something, you know, get a head start. And, you know, I know a lot of people do that in the, in the East, you know, for example, Iowa, every time I talk to a guy who draws an Iowa tag, they're here, they come. And whether it's from Wisconsin, Illinois, you know, wherever they're coming, they, they try to make some time to come and scout. But on a Western hunt, it's just such it's on a bigger scale right right so i'm trying to debate whether or not next summer i want to you know burn some brownie points and get out there and do some do some scouting what what do you think i would say depending on where you you're looking at drawing um make it a family trip because like you got yellowstone you got grand tetons there's a lot of stuff, a lot of cool stuff to do in Wyoming. I don't know if that would make it harder to go scouting or easier, but yeah. Um, so on top of that, on top of that, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're drawing with someone else or not. Yeah, right now I don't have any plans to draw with somebody. Okay. Um, that that's a possibility. I mean, a lot can change in a year, but here's here's the what I'm looking at right now. I bring the family out there and we do some kind of western trip. Um, number one, that's not a pee in a Gatorade bottle type trip. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's like, I'll be stopping every couple hours probably to, you know, let the kids stretch their legs and it, you know, it might even be a drive a little bit, find a place to spend the night, drive a little bit further, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But man, I, I, uh, I really want to do it, but I feel if I have the family out there, it would just be like, okay, I'm going to disappear for eight hours. Cause you don't just hop into the mountains and scout a property like you right. would a, a whitetail farm, right? Right. You got to find the trailhead. You got to hike in a couple miles. You got, and that, you know, and I'm not a, a mountain guy, I'm a flatlander. So it's going to be physically demanding as well. And then right. the whole time my wife, where's my wife going to be at some trailhead hanging out with three kids. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. And the, the other thing that I just realized, so my, my dad took me out west twice when I was younger. And the first time I think I was in like first grade, and it was a big family trip, cousins and aunts and uncles, motorhomes and stuff like that. Big, R, like two or three RVs and stuff like that. So, um, and then he did it again when I think I was in like sixth grade. And the sixth grade trip is what I remember more and, and took that took away like more information and knowledge from and memories. Yeah. yeah. So, and your kids are super young still. So I mean, that's probably not worth it Yeah. to take them out there and expose them to the mountains and stuff like that. Yeah. So. My, uh, my daughter and son, my daughter and oldest son, I think would be great, but my two year old, well, that would be a nightmare. He'd probably, he'd probably, uh, get us in trouble because he'd fight a grizzly bear. There you go. So, um, so yeah, I would think that, I think that it's definitely scouting is always worth it. Right. You can at least, you could at least find areas not to hunt at a minimum. Right. 
Right. So, so you know, other than that, right now I'm just left to scouting digitally through Onyx or through Google Earth or, you know, wherever. And uh, you're just trying to identify things using resources. And, um, you know, one thing that I've learned over the years is there's this perceived notion that if you go on a DIY hunt, you're doing everything yourself, right? You're doing the scouting yourself. You're doing the planning yourself. For me, that's great if you want to be 100% DIY. But when it comes to information, I feel like there is absolutely no problem using somebody, a friend, a, another guy who maybe helps flatten your learning curve by saying, well, I'm not going to draw this year. So hell, you know, here's uh, here's some info about that area or here's some intel or we saw a deer here and take that information and in, take that information. You know what I mean? I feel like there people are trying to be too pure about the you know, oh God, no, can't take your help because if it does, if I do, I'll be cheating, and it, then I I won't be at master level hunter if I take your information because I gotta do it all myself. Do you when you go out west or you know start planning for some of these hunts? Are you one hundred percent Bob Polanik or are you relying on other people's intel? I'm about eighty percent Chris Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Chris. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, you have, you have a, I guess, a, a resource out there. Might as well use it. Yeah. Yeah. He got me, he got me into elk hunting in 2014 and I've actually gone elk hunting with him four times and I've only had a tag twice. Right. So, and it was more so just tag long, learn, not, not miss out on a year of learning. Cause you get one week. You know, yeah. you get one week to learn how to elk hunt. That's not enough. You know what I mean? Um, to learn how to elk hunt, to, to kill an elk, to talk to them, to you speak to it. Like one week per year. And then if you only go every other year or every third year, I mean, that's just, there's so much to learn. Right. And uh, it was just way more affordable to fly out there and not hunt, like not have a tag and just keep learning than it was. I mean, I just felt that that was more valuable than not going at all. Yeah. So I have one of those scenarios kind of brewing right now. My buddy, Adam Parr, I'm pretty sure he drew a Colorado mule deer tag archery season. It's going to be like a 12,000 foot brutal, you know, like a high country mule deer hunt. And I'm debating going out and hanging with him while he does it for one purpose only, and that is to learn how to do it so that someday when I decide to do the, you know, the high country mule deer hunt somewhere, I'll have just that much more knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I, I the first time I did something like that, with, like I said, it was 2014. Um, the next year I went back out there, and I think I had a – I had an elk tag in my pocket for no more than 24 hours while I was actually hunting and it was filled. So, yeah. I mean, I think it pays off. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, how, how do you, you know, how do you wait your time? You got kids and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of funny though. Imagine if you were only limited to whitetail hunt for five to seven days a year, like you are on your elk trips. Right. Right. 
I that would be one hell of a learning curve because I mean I've I've had years in the whitetail woods and obviously I'm closer to home and I'm, I'm sure that the the elk guys who live out west you know kind of have are living by this same scenario where I am able to hunt more because it's closer I'm in closer proximity to whitetails you know so there's years in the past where I've hunted you know 30 40 days and then I go out west on a place like this mule deer hunt that we went on last year man we were there four or five days and then that was it man i mean four days yeah and then before we had to leave and sure. uh it was just i wish i had more time to observe and, and scout long ranges and digital's fine but like we all know man boots on the ground you got you just can't beat it yeah yeah i totally agree so I, I wish that I could get out there, you know, more like April, May, probably May when there's less snow and stuff like that. I would love to find some elk sheds, but, uh, yeah, this is what, this is how the cards fell. So I was just like, well, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of shaping up to have a pretty serious, um, fall of hunting and, uh, kind of so is my wife. And I just, I just want, I just want to make sure that when the season's over with whatever the result is, I know that we gave it everything or damn near everything we had. Yeah. So do you have trail cameras up in Nebraska? I do. They've been up since, uh, last time they were checked was, uh, November 13th. So I, yeah, there's three out there. They're all on really good pinch points and runs. And, uh, I've left them out there every year since 2016 and every year when I go back and check them, there is so much. There's an influx of buck activity, and there's an influx of uh, unknown m- mature bucks always from, like, November 20th to the 26th. Right. Every year, like four years in a row. So have you thought, based off that tra- trail camera data, altering your trip schedule? Um. Yes and no. For Nebraska, not so much, but like Iowa, because I guess I, you know, here's the deal. So in Michigan, once gun season happens, like it's over and it's not over, but it just, everything becomes harder. Encounters are just way less. Um, And so Nebraska, their, their gun season is always middle of November and, you know, Iowa, it's not till December. So it's like, uh, if I'm gonna hunt, if I'm gonna bow hunt in that later November time frame, um, it's usually gonna be in Iowa. So, dude, the other thing is you kind of got Thanksgiving in there too. Usually, that you got to yeah. appease the the family. That's a fact, uh, man. I, I tell you, I'll tell you right now. Every year, after about the fifteenth, I'm gonna say from the fifteenth to the twenty fourth, that that time frame where the downhill the downhill slide of the rut all the way up to thanksgiving man i catch i catch cruisers you know i guess some people call them bonus bucks where you don't know them but they're they're big mature deer coming in and out of your property maybe one or two times yep i every year i have a couple bonus bucks and uh oh man i had a i i pulled a trail camera two weeks ago that had been setting up since the hunting season and late december right at last light two days in a row he comes through and uh one of like within shooting range one of my tree stands 
and he's easy 170 like this you know you look at him and you're like okay body body size mature check and then the antlers are bonus right so i mean he's a gigantic 10 pointer with like a split g2 and uh he came through two days in a row that's it never saw him again so it's amazing what the firearm season does around me and i know like what you said it's over once the rifle season hits but at my farm once shotgun season hits i mean my farm gets pounded every single season multiple times throughout those weeks and it displaces a lot of deer and then it takes them forever to return or sometimes they don't even reach you know they don't even return and uh i think that bonus buck probably got displaced by shotgun season came found a little a secret spot where he felt safe for a while cruised through a couple times and then probably headed back to the ma- the farm that he calls home right right so yeah that's that's one other thing uh the bucks that i usually get in that that november 20 to 26 time frame or whatever um i don't really ever see him again yeah that's the only thing yeah, yeah it's not like they become residents or anything like that they they usually end up going back to their core area or whatever it might be so absolutely um, yeah yeah i don't know about you but depending on what my trail cameras tell me I'm really hoping this one particular buck shows back up this fall. And if he does, he might be a only buck I chase, you know, unless there's another giant that happens to walk by me during that, that time frame. But there's, there's, I might focus 100% on one deer this year. Now, with that said, let's just say hypothetically, I'm successful on that. I think the following year, I want to be, pull a little experiment and push my vacation or I should or not even really a vacation, but my allotted time back one week. So I won't even really be hunting until November 7th, 8th or 9th. Gotcha. Let that whole first week of the rut ride out unless I get some crazy trail camera data, make a, you know, make a quick move. But other than that, I just continue to see more deer like bigger bucks, more mature deer cruising my farm later in November than earlier. Yeah, I think you've got less hunting pressure too. I, I don't, I don't know about you, but where where I was hunting in Iowa during that later part of November, yeah, but we didn't see hardly anyone else hunt. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I. I thought you were meant like, oh, dude, Iowa in general has less hunting pressure, but well, there is there is that. Yeah, yeah I think I think everyone takes their rutcation that first week or that second yeah. week or, or, or both. And if you can get into that third week, I think yeah, you're a little bit less pressure. And um, I don't know. But I'm waiting to find out if we drew Iowa, and if if we did, I think we're planning on going like November 13th to the 22nd. So we'll be we'll be out there that later time frame again are you so. did you try to draw the northeast unit uh no 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 southeast nope. no how many points are you nope. dealing with uh me and my buddy each have one preference point and then yeah so we applied as a group there was supposed to be four of us and the other two backed out well one backed out because he's expecting a kid on like in october and my other buddy just he just he shit the bed. He just didn't. <laughs> With it, he's a, a loser. Non- he's uh, a loser. 
And if he listens, if he listens to this, Garrett, I'm sorry, but <laughs> um, he was he. So if you're a non-resident for Iowa, you have to get your uh, hunter safety in before you apply, like well before you apply. You can't like you can't like apply for your tag and submit your hunter safety like all in the same thing. Like they have to approve your hunter safety, and then it opens up the window weeks later for you to apply. Right. So. So yeah, he didn't he didn't get that done in time, and then with COVID and everything being shut down, he couldn't get a copy from the DNR and stuff like that. I don't know. So yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, the whole idea was that with four people applying as a group, all with one point, we should it should have been an, an easy easy draw. But now yeah. we're kind of now we don't know. Okay. So. Well, good deal then. Um, let's see. So. I'm trying to think, Oh, I want to get back on the prep side of things. Right. Yep. So I think I've, I've kind of shared on this podcast about how my 2014 Idaho elk experience was a disaster from just about every standpoint. I mean, not only was my gear, I probably wasn't ready on my gear, but I definitely took the wrong steps to the whole uh, prepping my body for a high mountain hunt, right? So elevation, we were about eight to 9,000 feet out in Idaho. And in Colorado, we get up to like 11, six, uh, this year we were at 11, six, which is crazy. It's for me up there. It's like, take five steps, take a break, take five steps, take a break, you know? Um, cause I am this flatlander, but my, I told my wife, I said, man, I think I, I just really need to lose weight and not necessarily gain any muscle, but lose weight, which is going to make me moving at those higher elevations easier, right? I mean, let's just face it. If you're getting rid of weight, it's less weight you're having to carry. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, even in the pack out, even in my pack out, I mean, you drop 10 10 pounds off off of my body or – 20 pounds off of my body during my mule deer pack out it i felt i feel like it would have just been better for me and of course i'm just like most people who are fat or out of shape all my weights around my waist in my gut and so my wife heard me say that so she bought me for father's day a fitness program you, know, you go up some guy tells you what to do or, you know i'm in a group but uh, tells me what to do and I've already in you know one and a half weeks a week and a half I've lost 10 pounds roughly wow so nice. yeah so I'm excited to see where this goes the next eight weeks or the next you know I'm going to continue this program up until my mule deer hunt and hopefully my goal is to just lighten the load f- by dropping body weight yep I um I think that is best I think um I lift weights usually year round and um i think it's usually right around right after the fourth of july is when i really i completely switch up my um my workout routine um mainly because if you're gonna elk hunt in the mountains uh you really don't need biceps that are bigger than your calves (laughs) (laughs) that's a fact does you no good yeah (laughs) does you talk about talk about dead weight does you no good it's something just something a little extra for a grizzly bear to gnaw on yeah um so yeah it's uh 
it, it, it not, don't get me wrong. If you if you work out and you lift weights and you have a certain muscle mass to you, it, yeah, it sucks to watch it go away. But you can keep your you keep your mentality right and your you know your eye on the prize and and you know that you're just trimming down. Um, I, I definitely think you still, you know, you got to keep whatever muscles that you're, that aren't critical to elk hunting. Right. You know, you still got to keep them exercising in shape. Um, but yeah, it's, it usually becomes like a lower weight, higher rep, try to lean out, right. you know, any, any chest or arm muscles. And then I think it's still good to have a decent amount of muscle on your body because yeah. naturally, uh, I think if you're not getting enough calories, I think your body will break down muscle before it will break down fat. Like it will feed itself. It will turn muscle into calories for energy before it will do it with fat. I think that's the, I think you might be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I I know, I know that the body uses fat for storage, but muscle, but muscle is like the last, the last resort. I mean, your wife is a, a medical I professional. Know. How do you not I, know this? I know. I know. Oh, so now all we're doing is, is feeding the uh, the listeners a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, a bunch of falsities. Yep. I get it. Yep. Don't listen to me. <laughs> but I, I honestly think it, it goes through like the – it goes through carbs first, fat, or a combination of that, and then muscle is like the last thing to go. I think maybe it's – I think it's maybe like your body can convert muscle into hot. Like you have more calories in muscle than you do in fat. If it's, it's maybe like a dire, a dire situation type thing. Yeah. Like in one ounce of muscle, there's more calories than one ounce of fat. Maybe. I think it's, yeah. Well, how about, anyway. we, how about we just do this before we confuse ourselves even further? Somebody, when I post this, when I post this you know, to promote this on the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles Instagram page and Facebook page. I want someone out there who is actually educated on this to post and comment and let us know and the rest of the listeners know. Um, I mean, I got a computer right in front of me, but I don't want to type on it too. Uh, Let's just guess on it. My guess is that the body feeds off the fat first and then it goes to the muscle in extreme cases. And I agree, and I think that everything I said was dead wrong. So. <laughs> All right, well, th- there's that. But, you know, finishing up on that, I was talking to a guy a while back, and he dropped a shit ton of weight preparing for this big elk hunt that he was going on. And it was he was going with a group of guys, so he felt, he was like, dude, I do not want to be the weakest link. I don't want to be the guy that they're waiting on. So he got in really good shape. However, when he got out there, he thinks he was too lean. Like yeah. he, he dropped too much fat and his body fat percentage was l- low enough to where he was getting exhausted by the end of the day and eating a lot. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. First year I went elk hunting. Um, I lost, I lost 12 pounds in seven days. Yeah. Um, and every year since then, I, I think I've only lost a pound or two. I mean, part of that was didn't bring enough food. You know, I didn't have my food dialed in first year. That's going to happen. Um, actually, that's probably that's probably the biggest part of it. Now, I I eat like a like a cow when I'm when I'm elk hunting. Yeah, like, man. My, my buddy actually like makes fun of me about how much I eat. And it's like, dude, I'm not out here to lose weight. And I think some guys, if you only go for a week, 
I think your body can can handle it. But if you're gonna go for ten days, even you know a, a, any longer, um, you kind of have to have nutrition dialed in a little better, I mean, and you probably need some more reserves. Yeah. So, I mean, I tell you that that's one thing that helped me a lot. This third elk trip that I went on last year, I remember the year before, a majority of my caloric intake was like carbs and I wasn't eating enough protein and I guess a protein is a slower burning um, energy source so it lasts longer so on this next one I brought a lot more meat I ate chicken at camp I ate um, uh, a lot more beef jerky and I feel that when I increased my protein uh, level then my energy level also maybe it wasn't like I was had full energy, but I was at medium energy for a longer period of time before I hit that crash at the end of the day, you know, on, on the final hike back to camp. Yeah. Yep. There's not, there's not much worse than the final hike back to camp. Um, I, the, the one thing I noticed is water. Like I bet, so I have a three liter, um, hydration bladder in my pack and I go through, I go through all that every day oh dude and, absolutely and, and then when i get back to camp so in the morning and at night when i'm at camp um i usually drink a liter in the morning and then i have my three liters throughout the day and then when i get back uh i usually drink two more liters so it's like yeah six liters a day and that 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 has helped me immensely i mean helps with all the cramping going on yep uh if you're eating dehydrated meals they're gonna have a lot more salt in them so it helps balance that out yeah um and then yeah it's just it, i mean i'm also 220 pounds so my water consumption is going to be high anyway yeah well and that's the same with me but, man i i carry on my colorado trips i was carrying five liters with me every day oh Le- wow leave and i would by the time we got back to camp i was sucking on the last drops and I was I was yeah. taking a ton of water, and then obviously when you get back to camp, just slam is basically drink until you feel full is basically what I did, and uh, yeah. wake up the next morning and you're still peeing yellow, and uh, I mean there's times where you just can't catch up with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. I, and I don't know about you, but it's like elk hunting. Sometimes you've got like I think we average like six to 12 miles a day and like you'll, so you'll have a you'll have like two 10 mile days in a row and then you'll get that that like six or seven mile day and that's like that's definitely when your body can recover a mm-hmm. little bit better i think so that's kind of it's also something like me and my buddy try to do like all right we had a big day yesterday let's try to find some stuff a little closer and a little less elevation you know, and let's conserve some energy, build some energy back up. And then tomorrow we'll go, you know, way back and we'll do, you know, a bigger day, a 10 or 12 mile day. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of just trade off and on. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really excited for my Western hunt this year and definitely next year. I mean, I'm already talking about 2021, like, it's all locked down, but there's still so many things that I need to do, like look at units, look at preference points. I mean, my wife doesn't know this yet, but this year, I, I, multiple reasons, right? I laid off the elk hunt because I wanted to save a little money, only go on my mule deer hunt because it's fairly cheap compared to, you know, a big elk hunt. 
and then cash a little brownie points for 2021. I'll be turning 40, but my youngest son at this point will be in daycare or in um oh yeah, preschool. So he'll okay. he'll be away, which means there's going to be days where my wife will be at home alone, right? She won't have to worry about kids. And uh, that's going to be big for me, I think. Uh, that's going to be a big help, and it's going to allow me to do more things throughout the year, especially when, you know, my two older kids are going to be in school full-time. Right. So, that's huge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's big. And uh, then from <laughs> – like I said, she doesn't know it yet, but I got some plans for 2020. Like, I'm going to try to do my mule deer hunt. I'm going to try to do my elk hunt. Obviously, Iowa, whitetail. I'm going to try to fit in another short whitetail hunt out of state. I, I'd love to do it in Montana, Wyoming, you know, a, a western-type hunt. So uh, I might be taking a couple trips out to Wyoming or one big trip out to Wyoming where I do, like, a— elk hunt for a couple days and then you know or for a week and then i'll do a, a like a really easy not necessarily easy but easy draw because i have some points i want to do for antelope as well and uh, get the get an antelope hunt in while i'm out there and then maybe on my way back i can stop for a really quick period of time hell in nebraska or, or someplace and you know find some public there and just make it make it a uh like a banner year if that makes sense yeah i um yeah i'm not going to extend the invite to nebraska for next year right now i'll, <laughs> uh, I'll put it on my radar nah dude don't do that and, uh, don't do that oh dude it just it just depends on on who's going out there and what's going on but yeah um as far as the wyoming thing goes yeah the you know, Wyoming isn't it regarded as like one of the best deer states? Yeah, I mean it could be. I, I'm collecting deer points as well, right there. Uh, I haven't yeah. done a, really any research into the state, but from my understanding is that yes, there's plenty of public land out there to uh, choose from. But the furthest east, the further east you go in the state, the harder it is to find good public land. But someone okay. listening to me will probably disagree with me so and that's what i just said is secondhand knowledge right someone told someone told me that but you know then again other than what i it's still more than iowa right and yeah so you know so i'm uh i'm just really excited i'm i'm jacked and then i don't know man are do you have any are you collecting preference points anywhere yeah and uh uh, in Wyoming, so I think I've got four Wyoming points, and then for elk, for for elk, and then I've got three for whitetail, and I think I have two for moose. Oh wow! So I know, no, I have two, I have two for moose in um, Montana. Never Montana, mind. okay. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I didn't mean whitetail. I, I, it's just deer preference points. But with that said, um, I. My buddy and I uh, here in Michigan, that him and I have the same amount of points for elk and deer in Wyoming. We really want to do a like a like a low mountain whitetail hunt. We're like you're kind of I don't yeah, I don't know what the elevation those. is. Call it yeah, like five thousand, six thousand feet, but still like a little mountainous, not too bad. You can still do some tree stand hunting, but I don't know. I just think that setting would be super cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. And I haven't, 
I haven't gotten the mule deer itch yet. Yeah. So I got a, I got a buddy doing a big uh, mule deer hunt in Nebraska this year, and I'm kind of just like, yeah, why don't you guinea pig that for me? Figure it out. And then <laughs> tell I'll, me where I'll to go. go right. Yeah, that's that's another version of scouting. Yeah. Letting someone else do it. That's right. That's right. So that's that's one thing that I was uh, kind of blown away by was the number of whitetails that we saw on our on our mule deer trip. They were down in the river bottoms. Uh, on the crop circles, most of them were on private ground, but man, we saw a really good, a really good whitetail buck, uh, in one of these crop circles and it, he was a mile away. So I was looking at him through my spotting scope and it was really hard to tell exactly how big he was. But I mean, when he turned his head, he was tall and out to his ears. So I think he was like an, potentially a nine pointer or an eight pointer, but he was from where I could from where I was sitting, looking through the spotting scope, he looked really good. So, you know, after I scratch that mule deer itch, I might have to head back out there and chase whitetails. Yeah. But, yeah, man. Man, I don't know. There's something about, from a goal standpoint, I really just want to check off species at this point to say, oh, well, I've, I've killed a mule deer. Not necessarily like size of antlers really don't matter to me. Or I've killed an elk. Right. I've killed a mule deer. I killed an antelope. Yeah. And, and just start to broaden my you know my success if that makes sense it it does and i think um and i think we talked about this uh, a couple podcasts ago but like uh evolution as a hunter i i hear where you're at yeah. and i'm just a few years behind you um you're also invested you've gone on a mule deer hunt yeah so you know you've kind of got that like redemption factor going on in there the same with the elk stuff like that so it's like you kind of just want to you want to you want to close that chapter, that initial chapter right. of a mule deer hunt or an elk hunt, where like the end, the end result is meat in the freezer, basically. Yeah, so, that's a fact, um, man. And the other thing, yeah, the other thing I was thinking about. So, and I know we're talking a lot about 2021, but um, I think with these big out of state hunts, you almost have to plan them two or three years in advance. And uh, I've got two buddies here in Michigan that um, want to go to Idaho next year. And I was like, dude, like the three of us, we've, we've grown up, we've known each other since we were like 18. And it's like, man, if we, if the three of us go to Idaho, like I have no intention of buying a tag and the two of you buy tags and let me just use all the knowledge I've gained over the last three years and, and help you guys, get on some elk and call to them and stuff like that so yeah because with because with elk hunting if you are if you're the dedicated caller for a week straight i mean that's what i did last year with my wife in idaho i just called for her for eight days you can you can get your calling dialed in so well and it is so much fun to talk to elk when oh, they're yeah. fired up so yeah buddy so yeah i i just i i would just highly recommend to anyone listening that even if you don't have a tag, you can go on an elk hunt and it is every bit as challenging and rewarding. Um, whether your hunting partner kills an elk or doesn't, it's just the experience and the adventure. You're that you, I, I, I would put money on the fact that you just won't regret it. If you went elk hunting without oh, yeah. a tag. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, let's see when I was first cutting my teeth on, you know, well, I, I, I'm still cutting my teeth, but when I went on my first Colorado, I was basically just 
a puppy, you know, following my my buddy Adam Parr. And uh, he was calling and he was getting them to bugle and we were chasing them and stuff like that. And I uh, paper, rock, scissored my buddy uh, Ryan for who gets the first shot. And he won. So he took the first shot and I was just sitting back kind of flanking, you know, just in case. But it was uh, just walking around, even even though I didn't pull my bow back at all or really even have a shot opportunity. It, it's just fun. I mean because what do i want to do when i'm not deer hunting i want to be outside hiking around the mountains like if i could right now i'd be out in colorado i'd be out in wyoming montana somewhere out west utah just hiking in the mountains right living that living that life but you know i can't do that but i I wish i could yeah i hear you i hear you so on the on the whitetail front what's going on in michigan man have you been doing anything um yeah i've got food plots going and i've got cameras out on three different properties and a lot of the uh spring shed hunting scouting that i did uh i think it i think this year there's just a lot of things i saw differently um and i I forced myself to look at things differently because i haven't killed a Michigan buck in five years. Yeah. Um, and, and of course I'm never here during the rut anymore. Um, but so that doesn't help, but, um, so, so kind of, you know, again, listening to other success, early season, successful hunters, I just, I've been kind of dialing in what, what they do and I'll, it's just scouting, scouting, scouting. So, yeah. um, first check mark was to do the spring scouting. Got that. Um, right now, you know, it's, summertime works kind of amped up got a, a a big trip coming up uh july so any whitetail scouting is going to be done via trail camera right now to give me an idea of inventory and then um i think once august comes around is when i'm going to do a lot more of that late night glassing um and there's a there's a property that i hunt in northern michigan that's very hilly and I'm just going to use that as a way to prep for elk season and uh, early season scout for whitetails. Ah. So I'll just I'll just load my backpack up with you know 50, 60 pounds and and do some hiking around and get some good vantage points. And because uh, it's all it's all um, just like grassy hills, and then it, all the from all the there's like three different ridges that are super tall. And you can get to the top of all of them without being intrusive at all. And you can glass the back edge of the timber where all these cornfields meet up to the, the timber. Because all the cornfields are like in the valleys in between these ridges. So it's uh, it's definitely a very easy access, very low pressure. And just trying to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, so. I feel you. I, uh, on, on the whitetail front of my end, man, I, I think I've realized that... I'm looking at the properties that I hunt on a too big of a scale. And this is, this is almost an entire another podcast, but I think what I need to do is to just almost cut my property in half and, and work at two different scenarios and just think smaller instead of this large, you know, I have this, I have, I don't know, let's just say I have 400 acres. Well, maybe I should hyper-focus on 100 acres. And that, 
I don't know. I, I, I debate this every year, but because I, I, I find myself not giving these areas enough time. So obviously I, I do my scouting uh, during the off season, during shed hunting and whatnot, looking for the sign, looking for the trails, you know, in the winter time, because, you know, a deer will use a ridge probably the same way in the snow in the winter time than he would in the, you know, in the fall. Right. So the trails are always kind of there and just, you know, observe all that. But I think I, I look at it too big, which makes me be almost too mobile. And therefore, I'm not giving a area enough time before I leave it. Does that make sense? Yep. Oh, yeah. Big time. So, dude, that Nebraska, that Nebraska farm I hunt, it's 40 acres of timber and like 200 acres of ag. That's not a lot of timber to hunt. Right. And every year, um, a mature buck's killed, or at least there's some in Syria, and then there's multiple encounters with mature bucks. So, that's just 40 acres. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously a completely different farm. Um, and it's just, and also one side of it's cut off by the Missouri river, you know? Ah, so yeah, it's, uh, there's a, there's a big edge there. Um, so it, I don't know. It's just completely, that's not comparing apples to apples really, but cool. Cool, but just man. To, yeah. Just to, just, just to hit on your point. Yeah. You can definitely hunt it smaller and still find success. Yeah. I got, that's something we need to talk, talk more about on a later podcast, but, um, well, Bob, I think we're running out of time here. Good luck doing some training. Uh, everybody that's listening right now needs to listen to the hunting gear podcast where me and Bob talk specifically about hunting gear. Um, and in one of these upcoming episodes, let's see, Bob, you got a new bow. I did. I got the, uh, <clears throat> Matthews BXR, the 31 and a half, and then, uh, new arrows and quiver and whole bunch um, of stuff. Yep. Yep. So kind of, uh, figuring that out and it is just, uh, it's a completely different bow and feel and everything than, uh, what you're the used bow to. I had been using yeah, previously for about five years. So it's, um, yeah. Well, happy Wednesday, Friday, my friend, enjoy your four day weekend and, uh, we'll talk to you next time, man. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And there you have it, everybody. I'm going to keep this outro really short today. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day. Huge shout out to Bob for making time for for this episode and all the episodes that he's on. He's kind of uh, transitioned into a little bit of a co-host role, not only with the Nine Finger Chronicles, but with the Hunting Gear podcast as well. Huge shout out to all the partners not only of the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles, but of the uh, Sportsman's Nation as well. So right now we have on the on the network side, we have Federal Premium, we have Savage Arms, we have Interstate Batteries and Go Wild. We also have uh, on the Nine Finger side of things, we have Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, The Average Conservationist, and Vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast and this podcast network. And lastly, man... Treat your neighbor as you want to be treated. Send good vibes out to the universe, and I guarantee you, you're going to get good vibes back, man. So have a great weekend. Get outside. Go do something, and uh, take it easy, man. We'll talk to you next week. 